podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. Hope everybody is well. Glorious, sunny weather that we're enjoying at the minute. Had a good week this week. Had a really good week. Looking forward to going to Daniel Dubois against Bogdan Dinu on the weekend. Uh, be interesting to see what that looks like with, with a thousand spectators. That will have been and gone by the time by the time you listen to this. We're recording this on Thursday. This is Thursday, June the third, Matt. How are tricks? How are things in Solly Hole? Looks nice and sunny there too. Yeah, it's been been good. Uh, at last, a bit of decent weather. My fa- my face might look like it's slightly radiating if you're if you're watching this on on YouTube, and that that's not because I've been sun worshipping. That's not really my bag. I was I was chopping some chilies earlier on, and I forgot to wash my hands, and then I I rubbed my face and. I'm not going to lie, I had a quick pick of my nose, so uh, the inside of my nose and my face feel like they're on fire at the minute, but uh, I will not be I will not be stopped from uh, from doing Macklin's take under any circumstances whatsoever, so this is just a minor inconvenience. So what we're talking about today is the boxing beat, the boxing journalistic beat, and what it is like covering the sport um, on a daily basis. Because we've got into this kind of thing before with the likes of uh, of Tris last week, actually, briefly, Matt Christie. But they were both working for Boxing News, editor of Boxing News, which is a weekly publication. Uh, and covering the sport day in, day out, having to stay on top of everything at all times, it's different. We spoke to Coogan as well, of course, a couple of times too. And he's on the, he's on the video side of it. The man we're speaking to today is a print journalist. And... He has to kind of straddle two worlds in a way because the paper he works for, the the Daily Star, of course, they still produce a physical paper every day, pages of paper. People think that no one's interested in buying those any longer, but that is not the case. Uh, They still shift in, in large numbers. And he also, though, has to take care of the kind of online side um, which is in you know, rough chronological terms, uh, a fairly, in the grand scheme of things, a fairly, a fairly recent development because the digital platform emerged about ten years ago. Now he's always had to do this because his career started pretty much coincides with with the start of of the digital platform emerging, and it changed the job. It changed the job in in so in so many ways. Uh, and what kind of inspired this really was the fact that. A few weeks ago, he broke a big story. Now, it's not that often that you get a story in a sport that you're on the inside of where it comes out and you really just didn't see it coming. When, when, when I saw it on Twitter, when he tweeted out the, the link to the article, I think it was a Monday night three weeks ago now, maybe by the time you listen to this, it was a real kind of stop everything else I was doing WhatsApp a few people, have you seen this? I think Matt was one of the first people, one of the first people I messaged because it is it is quite rare now that somebody manages to get their hands on something that you haven't really got any kind um, of an inkling about. Uh, and what made it interesting for me was I was thinking, 
it was quite late in the evening and I was thinking, God, he must have been really tempted or the editor discussion between the two of them must have been really tempted to try and keep this for tomorrow morning when it will be in the paper and you're the only one who's got it. And it's just an interesting kind of dynamic that you've got to the job now. And the man in question, of course, is uh, the Daily Star's Chris McKenna, or as he was cruelly, cruelly labelled by some of his journalistic colleagues, the man who ruined boxing <laughs> uh, after after breaking the story on the Monday night. It, it was, of course, the, the news that the arbitration had gone against the AJ Fury fight, essentially, and that Deontay Wilder um, would be fighting Tyson Fury next. So that that's a pretty long intro uh, but I just wanted to to explain um, what we're going to be getting into and there's plenty of other stuff we could talk about too so Chris just with reference to that we're not really going to talk about what that means and the fact that Wilder and Fury are going to fight next and AJ's probably going to fight Usyk we'll leave all of that because that's been discussed but I'm just really interested to know job wise how did you how did that story emerge? How did you, how did you get it? There might be things you can't tell us, you know, you, a good journalist never reveals, never reveals his sources, <laughs> uh, but how did that work? How did it happen? Well, well obviously um, it was quite fast moving, but on the day I, I'd been made aware. Um, I think it had been reported previous, the previous week by other journalists that Monday, I can't remember the date now was going to be the decision on, on the, on the arbitration and, there was still just a feeling that what would happen would be that Deontay Wilder would at best win, but it, it'd just be a financial settlement. So the arbitrator would say, right, Tyson Fury, you owe Deontay Wilder X amount of money because you're not fighting him a third time, blah, 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 without going into that detail of all of that nonsense. But So I, on that Monday, um, I just... I made calls to, to various kind of contacts in the sport and people who I had an idea who who may be aware of the decision or when it was going to come and, and stuff like that. So spoke to a few people and they, they kind of, some people didn't even answer. Some people didn't want to speak, say anything. Um, and some people said, look, it may, may come this evening. It may be tomorrow. Um, I'll try and let you know if I can, blah, blah, blah. So you, 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 you're making numerous calls and you're hoping that maybe somebody will, will kind of, remember to get back to you on it so it kind of all then happened quite quickly in the evening and I I made a few more calls and I was getting kind of nowhere and I thought this isn't going to happen and like um, I'm just not going to get the detail it's just going to come out elsewhere or or maybe it's just that boring that nobody really cares that it's just been Tyson Fury's won the arbitration Deontay Waller has been told to go away and we're just going to announce Joshua Fury in a day or two but um so kept making calls and texts and eventually got somewhere and got some information that, that Deontay Wilder had won the arbitration and that the arbitrator had forced a third fight. You kind of get that information and you go, OK, wow. Right. So you start to think, well, what's the permutations here? Is this now Fury Joshua off? Is this... Um, are they just going to pay Wilder off? Is it, This could happen like it could all happen this evening, that... They just go, right, here's 10 million, go away. So you make a couple of other calls and you kind of, you get a kind of what we what we kind of say in the industry, like stood up and I knew it was, it was um, I knew from where I initially got it from that it was 100% correct, but you just want to 
just check a few other things and, and make a few more calls and did it kind of as you alluded to the decision to go online is such a modern thing that and I'm kind of I would say more old school in a way I love keeping stuff back for the newspaper I love seeing a good story in a newspaper not just my newspaper I look when a big story comes the back pages come out late at night and you see some paper has a big exclusive as long as it's not a story I was supposed to get so as long as it wasn't boxing or Merseyside football I can sit back and enjoy that and go wow fair play to that journalist done a great job they've got a huge story so you're kind of thinking that but the way that the way that boxing kind of works and the way that they're kind of the way the industry works now is that so many people are talking. So I knew that people would start to find out very, very quickly. Um, so I made a call into my desk um, and informed them that I had this story. It was quite late. So it was around nine o'clock. So additions are starting to be put to bed. But I spoke to the website and they kind of felt that we should try and get this out as quickly as possible because that will make the biggest kind of impact. And it was kind of the right decision in the end because the risk was like to leave it an hour and a half to the newspaper kind of embargo time that we call it, which is usually half 10. But if somebody else gets it before then and gets out, it just takes the whole sting out of it and we don't get the the kind of reaction on our website and drive traffic to our website, which it did like I can't I don't know the exact numbers because I don't know what we do but I was told it was like the biggest story on our website in the month of May and stuff like that so it 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 was just a decision right let's get this out and let's just try and, and break it before somebody else does because as I say there's so many people that I think would have been on that without naming names of other good journalists both sides of the Atlantic who would have been making calls and would have been hoping to get that out first so we made that kind of decision. It's kind of, it's a thing that grates on me a bit because I always think, oh, we should look after the newspaper, keep it back for the newspaper, keep it back for what people actually buy because our website isn't behind a paywall or anything. So keep it back for, so that the person, that's only a few, it's not expensive newspaper, it's a tabloid, but keep it back for those people who are buying it the next day. But just in this modern world, unfortunately, sometimes you just can't do that. Sometimes there are stories that you just know that nobody's going to be making a call on this. I've just stumbled upon this and I've got it and it's amazing and nobody's going to get this. But a story like that where it's such a fast-moving situation where the leaks would have been so much from from three promoters, three kind of set of lawyers and, and, and three different people involved in that kind of whole discussion... Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! That's really interesting. There's a couple of things there that, that that I'll pick up on, but Matt, just to just to bring you in, it was I think we were messaging each other that night after it after it came out, and 
I know you're the same as me. It's, it's, you look at something like that and you just think, wow, like that is, that is a proper bit of work. It, it wasn't a massive surprise that, that, that Chris pulled it off because we know, uh, we know how it goes about things, but, but you get a, you get a, you see something like that and it, it gives you that kind of buzz, doesn't it? When you see some news, some massive news that you're really not expecting. It's, it's one of the reasons why we're in this. It's one of the reasons why I've always been in it because I love it. I love a good, a good shock, a good exclusive. Yeah, I was just laughing to myself as, as, as Chris was explaining. I've got my old man, if you heard him there, say, Chris is like a terrier. <laughs> a, dog, <laughs> a dog with a bone. He, he followed it and followed it and got to the bottom of it. Um, I guess, Chris, it was bittersweet for you, the fact that you've got to the bottom of it. You've got this exclusive, or, you know, you, you've got there first. You've got this story, but you didn't get to sit on it and put it out there in the newspaper because you're, like you say, an old school Journalist in the sense, I do laugh when I see you ring so good. You're young, you're baby-faced, and you're sat with all these old fellas. <laughs> you're in the wrong era. But, um, yeah, man, listen, it was one of those, wasn't it? You're right, Andy, we were chatting about it because it was like, you. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't even know how long it's gone on about all this back and forth, the announcements. It's definitely on. We're going to know in the next day, next week. Just keep moving the goalposts about this announcement of where it's going to be, what day, etc. We were here in August 7th. Then it was, I think, August 14th, 100% August 14th in Saudi. It's done. We're just waiting on this last thing now. And then all of a sudden, this arbitration story breaks. I mean, it must have been, um, I know you've just explained it about it being bittersweet, but it, it must be more sweet than bitter. Yeah, look, it's... Um... To get a big story like that is is so rare. It just because again because so many people talk, so you get a you, sometimes you get a hint of something and you start chasing it and you're like, all oh, right, I might get somewhere here. Before you get anywhere, it's come out somewhere else or somebody spewed it to somebody in in an interview and you're just like, oh, oh, yeah. Like a, a, an example of that was a few years ago um, when Can Canelo before that fight was even mentioned um, to anybody, somebody, had t- I was at a press conference and somebody had told me about it. And I was like, Can Canelo? Like, it was so out there. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Can's a welterweight. Canelo's moving up to middleweight soon. Why? That, that's surely not a fight that's going to happen. But you're kind of thinking, you start making a few calls and you go, you're getting knocked back on, oh, that's nonsense. Where have you got that from? And you're thinking... Yeah, but the person who's told me this wouldn't have made this up. It's too bizarre to make up. And you're going, right, right, right. And then they just announced it out of nowhere as I was still trying to check it out. And you're just like, ah, like, so again, that was the thing with this story is like, do I sit on it for an hour or two? Do I sit on till the next morning and then just bang it out there when the newspaper is out? But then you kind of lose that kind of excitement. And that's the buzz of the, the job. I mean, uh, I, as you say, Matt, I am quite quite fresh-faced and young and, and that, so I'm not, I have a huge track record of breaking big stories like that, so it was a great buzz to get it and get it out there and kind of get the kind of credit for it, um, which is a huge thing, which, which kind of makes this job worthwhile because it's such a tricky thing. I work in in football as well and, and it's such a hard industry. There's so many good guys I work with in football on Merseyside, who are brilliant, experienced journalists who who can wipe the floor with me in terms of getting stories and getting stuff out there. And you're learning from them all the time and you're seeing how they operate and see how they operate in press conferences and getting stories. And you're trying to 
trying to do that yourself. And when you when you get that story and you go, right, this is going to be explosive because, because of what it was kind of denying, which was the Fury-Joshua fight, which everybody wanted and everybody was waiting for the announcement. And it was just going to come out as such a surprise because nobody even thought for one second that, Walder would win this arbitration or that he would get his way just because of what everybody had been saying, what Bob Arum had been saying um, and what Eddie Hearn had been saying. Look, people within the kind of deal were always cautious about it because they knew, you know, the stuff with illegal stuff, you never know what's going to happen. So when I got it, yeah, it was a great buzz and it was a great buzz to get it out there. And But uh, the kind of, it moves on straight away. So the next thing was like, right, that's out there now. So what need to find out now well, is Fury Joshua definitely off is what's going to happen. So you, you kind of back the next day, making more calls and trying to get the next kind of story. So it never kind of rests, unfortunately, especially now, as you, as you mentioned, Andy, about the digital stuff, it, because it's, it's nonstop, like years ago, the kind of more old school guys, which I'm very, very envious of, they worked hard, don't get me wrong. And they had some amazing contacts and stuff like that, but they would, get a story and know when it goes into the newspaper that for 24 hours, nobody else, apart from maybe TV and, and radio, can follow up on that. So they have that exclusive for 24 hours. But nowadays, you have an exclusive for a couple of minutes. So by the time I put it out there, I think it was five, ten minutes later, Mark Kriegel, I'd, I'd followed it up, but obviously checked it out and, and put it out. And then Mike Coppinger was another one who followed it up. And suddenly it's, it's kind of everywhere. So the kind of, the, 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 the excitement of getting a big story is short lived, but it's still good. Well, it's a different world now, isn't it? It's, it's a completely, it's a completely different world. And, and I know kind of 10 years might seem like quite a long time, but in, in the wider context of the industry and the business, it's a very, it's a very recent development. And one thing you were explaining there about how you went about getting it, for me, just highlights what proper journalism really is. Because like you said, people knew this arbitration was happening, but everybody had just believed what they were told by the people involved, which was, ah, this won't be a problem. But rather than just take that on face value, you felt it was your job, which it is, to, to investigate you're not just going to accept what people tell you. That's that's what this job is about, isn't it? Wouldn't you say it's it's because of course of course they're going to tell you that it that it's going to be fine because everybody's talking about this super fight and it's like chasing down lost causes, isn't it? it, it in in a sense, you know, forty nine of them might turn out to be exactly what people say they are, and then that one isn't. But it's 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 that one that that you know brings you brings you the kind of result you got. Yeah, it, and. I suppose it's from speaking to people that you kind of got. I always felt there was something off with Fury Joshua. Um, I just, from both sides, and I'm, I'm not saying that everybody involved in that deal wanted that fight to happen. Let, let's get that right. I, I, I'm not a part of these people who say, oh, Fury didn't really want it, or Joshua didn't really want it. Why wouldn't they want it? They're going to get stupid money to fight. They're both fighters. They both love fighting. They're not going to be afraid of each other. If the deal works out, they were going to fight each other. Don't get me wrong. Everybody wanted that fight. Every promoter involved wanted that fight to happen because that's the biggest money fight. So whatever deal they have with their fighters, that was going to make them the most money. Deontay Wilder, 
Fury 3 doesn't make Bob Arum and Frank Warren as much money as it does the Fury Joshua fight. So they wanted that next. But there's always stuff going on behind the scenes and there's always kind of caution those things from there. From Joshua's side, it's like, is he really going to go into this fight without Rob McCracken or or without McCracken for such a long part of his camp? And you're wondering, that seems off to me. But maybe it will, because as I said, like Karen Canelo was a fight that I thought can't happen. He's not going to fight him. But you have to check it because stuff's always going on behind the scenes. And I think it's important just to speak to people and, and keep on it. And always, even though I've only been doing this job for 10 years, it... I, I learned pretty quickly that in boxing and in football as well, everything is always not as it seems. There's always something going on. Um, and sometimes you just can't find it out. Sometimes you are just at the mercy of what people are telling you on the record and off the record. And you you hope that your relationships are good enough with those people that you can take them at good faith. Um, and I like to think most people I speak to within boxing, I have that kind of relationship. If they tell me something off the record it's right. They may have to say differently on the record for different reasons. Um, and that's, that's fine. And you report that as what they kind of say, and you, you kind of put that out there. And that's what everybody was saying. This fight is happening. It's going to happen. And I I did pieces on this that Eddie Hennis last night said that AJ Fury is a hundred percent going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Cause he said it on the record and we were just reporting what he said, but I always felt there was something that going on that may kind of scupper this fight, but maybe that's just because I'm a bit cynical and even though I am fresh-faced, as Matt said, compared to some of the older guys, I am a bit of, a, bit of a, an old soul and a bit cynical about stuff, so I'm always kind of wary that other stuff's going on and you've got to dig as much as possible. And sometimes you dig and you get nowhere and you, you've proved that what people were saying was actually right, but it's not always the case. Well, I think 10 years in this game is certainly long enough to make you cynical and sceptical. <laughs> exactly, right. Exactly. So, I mean, you, you've seen it from the other side of being a fighter and and what what the the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and how, it, how it's never kind of works out as you always want it. But, yeah, I, I, about 10 years ago, I had more hair. Um, it has grown out a bit, but I used to have a bit more hair about 10 years ago and a few less... Uh, a few less Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Wrinkles. So, Matt, that just made me wonder, actually, as Chris said there, in boxing, pretty much always everything is not as it seems or not quite as it seems. Now, you're, you're on the, the inside of the kind of media machine now, but, of course, you were a participant. Did you have situations where a journalist would call you up and tell you something about your career, about something that was possibly going to happen or not happen, and you're on the end of the phone just thinking... Well, that's news to me. How do you know this and I don't? Um, I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but I'm sure there will be. I mean, there was definitely... Look, as Chris said there, there's things that you're reading on the record that people are quoting, they're doing interviews, but you do hear stuff, the rumour mill, you know, the gossip, 
off the record stuff and you have relationships with people, people confide in you, trust you, you know, or, or, or people genuinely, when you're a fighter, j- journalist, you might have built a relationship and then, you know, trust works both ways, doesn't it? And they'll, you know, they'll, they might have heard something and they're just marking your cards. I definitely had people ring me up. Again, I can't think of a specific example of something, but there were definitely times when uh, friends within the media uh, would have, you know, let me know things, yeah, just mark my cards about certain things that they heard was happening. Like you said, they weren't saying this is a fact. They're just saying, look, just letting you know, this is what we've heard. I was like, okay. Mm. You, men- you mentioned <laughs> relationships there, and that's 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 absolutely, that that's key to any industry you're in, but particularly this one, I would say, particularly um, media, but especially your part of it, I, I would say more than ours, Chris. And, you said for the for the for the wilder story that the person you got it from you trusted a hundred percent, so you knew it was true. I'm not ask, asking you who it was. It's just how long does it take you to build up that sense of who you know well enough to believe? Did, did you have instances earlier in your career where someone sold you a bit of a dummy, and then you thought from that point on, okay, well you're not as solid as I thought you were I, I guess that comes with experience it's not just who they are either is it because you know no one is averse to telling the odd massive whopper in boxing whether they're whether they're in a seemingly lowly position or whether they're a huge name yeah it, it's kind of like you've got to be wary of what so if somebody's told you something not on this story because it, that wasn't the case on this but sometimes on, on say a fight negotiation or or a football transfer story, or you got, and somebody tells you something, you got to stand back sometimes and go, well, why have they told me that? Like, have they got an agenda here? Are they trying to get something out there? You get that a lot in football, um, where you will have agents trying to link their players to clubs. So, because even if that club isn't actually interested, it's good for that player to be linked to that club if they're maybe wanting to move somewhere. So they mightn't get to Manchester United but they might get the move to Southampton that they wanted because when suddenly you're linked to a, 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 an elite club, your kind of stock initially rises. So, And that can happen in boxing where people maybe want something out to kind of do something else in the background or to try and scupper something or try and ruin something. Um, so, yeah, it, it, takes, it takes a while to kind of build that trust, but... There's, I suppose there's, there's certain people in the sport who, if, if they told you something, you go, yeah, that's bang on because I know who they speak to. I know who they work with. I know what their kind of agenda is. And then there's other people where you go, mm, I'm not sure why they tell me that. Blah, blah, blah. But I think in boxing, they're few and far between. And most people I, I've dealt with have been always up front and, and kind of genuine with me in, in what they, they've told me. So, but you always have to be wary and say, well, they've got a bit of a reason to tell you this. Um, unless you've rang them up, check something. If you rang them up and you're going, look, I've heard this from, and it might just be a rumour that's swirling around boxing. And often those rumours are true. Sometimes they're absolute uh, nonsense. Um, if you ring somebody up who you know would be involved and they go, yeah, that's true. Well, then you just take it as face value because if you put it on them and they've they backed it up and it's it's been talked about, you, you you've got to trust that. But yeah, be wary of my kind of advice would be be wary of why people are telling you stuff, but most of the time 
um, the, the, the kind of relationships I've built, which have taken a few years and I'm still learning, I'm still improving, I still can, I need more contacts, want more contacts, want to build better and bigger relationships that I can get more stories like that and, and become a kind of a better journalist. And um, I'm hoping that the newspaper industry survives long enough for me to do that. Uh, so I can become one of those kind of old faces um, that are always around and, and still be working for a newspaper, but we never know. But on, on your kind of question, I've gone off on a tangent there. It, it, it can take, with different people, you can just strike up a relationship, a few conversations, and you know, you can kind of sound them out and you maybe know who they are from knowing who they speak to. So you know whether they're trustworthy or not. Other people, it can take a few years to kind of get to know them and for them to trust you as well, because a lot of times you're having conversations with people in boxing. And even as a journalist, you're hearing stuff that you can't report for various reasons, whether it be legally, whether it be as kind of a trade off for not reporting that because you do that, you're going to upset this person and this person. And you've kind of got to find a balance of doing that. So that's the kind of uh, the trick of the trade, I suppose. But it's building the trust both ways that people trust you to report what they tell you either on or off the record fairly and you don't add spin on it or you don't kind of twist it in a way or add your own opinion to kind of play it play it down or knock a fight or something like that so building that trust kind of works both ways how how difficult is it to achieve that balance without becoming compromised because you you mentioned there um how you do need to find that balance and sometimes you'll realise that it's better not to, to write that story because the knock-on knock on effects it may or may not have. But there's a fine line between that and someone coming to you and saying, okay, Chris, I'd love this in the paper. It's not true, but if you could just get that in the paper for me, then next time I've got something, then, you know, that's, that, that's going to have your name on it because there's all sorts of this horse trading that goes on all the time, but you don't ever want to be in a position where you feel like someone else feels like you're their guy. And that if they want yeah. something out there, they can make it happen through you. I know that, I know that, you know, impartiality and, and retaining that, that, that objectivity is very, is very important to you. Uh, but increasingly in the media landscape we're in, uh, I don't know whether football is worse than boxing or boxing's worse than football, but increasingly that's not an easy thing to do because other people do cosy up. They do cosy up and they get some good stuff doing it. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Yeah, I suppose that's the kind of the biggest one of the biggest challenges. Like when I made that point, is that 
it's not that people are saying don't report that or that. It's just that you're having a conversation with somebody and something comes up and you kind of like, well, I can't. You're, you're using that. your common sense. You're using yeah, your common you're using, sense. And you're being responsible with stuff as well. That if you put certain stuff out at certain times, it's gonna it's gonna scupper other things and 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 cause issues. And then you've got to worry about legal aspects and stuff like that if if, if you're on that kind of ground. But kind of managing relationships and. Like I, I find it, I I watched the one that you guys did with Matt Christie, and, and I find his job unbelievably hard. That because he can't be seen to be cozying up with any side, because he they had a kind of voice of boxing, boxing news for the for the real fans of the sport. So they've got to be neutral, and it's something I try to do, and it it can be kind of seen that sometimes you're favouring other reporters, but. I try to be fair to everybody. I try to report on, I want boxing in the paper all the time. I want a, a page spread in every big fight there is, every fight there is. I'd love to do that. But sometimes different things work out different weeks. And sometimes you've got a little less in the paper on a fight that you might feel is better than the one next week. But then next week's got more in it on that fight, even though it's not as good. And that's just because the space in the paper that week was less. But Again, I'm going off on a tangent, but you, when you mean about cozying up, it's like, well, Frank Warren has a column in my newspaper, so people have often said to me, oh, you've got an agenda, you're Frank Warren's kind of columnist, and I've had that with, with certain fighters who, who've, and not the fighters themselves, but the people around them who said, oh, we're not speaking to you because you do a column with Frank Warren and he's got an agenda against our guy, and you're like, yeah, but... Frank Warren writes the column for my newspaper. He never tells me you have to write this or you have to write that. We just keep a professional relationship. He writes his column. He can say what he wants in his column, um, as long as it's uh, as long as it's legally fine. It's his opinion. It's nothing got to do with me. I don't always share the same opinions. Um, but then people will say, "Oh, you're always you talk to Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn just tells you what you want to hear, and you you everybody just." You see it on Twitter, everybody just listens to Hearn and blah, blah, blah. But again, it's that stepping back. And you, if people say something on the record, report it as what they've said. If people tell you stuff off record, always check it out. And I think that's how you kind of find a, find a balance and make sure that you, you, you're being told the truth all the time. But it is a challenge trying to not have, be on sides, especially in, in boxing, because it's such a weirdly partisan sport, because there's no other... There's no other kind of thing. I, I, I always struggle with people who are like, oh, I'm Matchroom FC, or I only want Matchroom to do good, or look what Matchroom are doing great, or look at what Frank Warren's doing great, or look at what McKennessy's doing great. Why can't we just like look back and go, that's a great fight. I don't care who's promoting it. It's just a good fight. And I don't think it's just a weird sport where people side with companies, which they are, they're promoters, com promotional companies and just support them as if they're a team or something. It's a bit weird. Just sit back and watch the fights. But because you're a journalist, you get accused of siding with different people all the time. And one week you can write an article that's praising one fighter. So, oh, you're just a matchroom fanboy. The next week you write a, a, an article praising, or not praising, or even just a, a big piece on Daniel Dubois. And then suddenly, oh, you're just a Warren fanboy. And it's just like, is just where it's the same in football. Um, I've not got a massive profile on the football, but I see it on my kind of kind of colleagues' Twitter 
put out a story on Liverpool and all you get from Everton fans is, oh, you're a red nose, uh, you're, you're red, blah, blah, blah. Put out a story on Everton that's a bit negative. Um, or Sorry, put out a story that's negative on Liverpool and then they're accused of being an Everton fan. So it's just... It's yeah, just, you can't win. You can't win, can you, Matt? We know what that's like. People have been accusing us of being match mouthpieces. Not for much longer. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get to that in a bit. We'll get to that in a bit because some uh, some big news coming out today in about an hour and a half. It'll be three or four days old by the time by the time you listen to this. But it's but it's well worth it's well worth discussing. It's it is an interesting one that Chris has outlined all the the kind of problems there. I mean, it does seem to me at times that. There are plenty of people covering boxing who are just happy to to pick a team. Uh, I've always found that I've always found that odd. But then again, with with quite a lot of them, do you really count them as as journalists? Are they working journalists? Are they professionals? You know, it's it's it is it is a wild west landscape. Um, and some people listening to that might think that sounds a bit precious or pious but I don't think it is I think you know there's there's some people work hard at this and do their due diligence and try and do things in a balanced and and fair way in a professional way and other people other people don't I think there are people journalists media people that do lean one way more than the other when I say one way if we're going to just say Frank Warren already heard but there's loads that are in the middle. They just 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 report about boxing. Like, and, and it was funny. I mean, hearing Chris say that because I mean, we we're more aware of that than anyone, aren't we, Andy? I mean, the, the amount of <laughs> bullshit you hear on social media, Twitter in particular, about ah oh, Sky matchroom bias. I'm like, I, I don't give a shit who wins. It's, it's irrelevant to us who wins. We we're just commentating on the fights. I, I care about fair play and I care about my credibility as a pundit stroke commentator more so than I do who wins. I don't I don't care who wins. I've got no vested interest. But I think it's that's regardless, people just hear it and see it how they want to a little bit. I think that's just something they've got in their minds. Because even you saying it there, Chris, it's like that makes me feel better that it's not just us that they direct all that sort of uh narrative and, that, and that's their that's their narrative they talk about a narrative we don't have a narrative that's their narrative but it's 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 um it never ceases to amaze me just how swept they are with it you yeah you probably bear a, a far bigger brunt of it but one because you're on sky sports and two because you've got a far larger twitter following so you've got a lot more people out there to give you give you uh, plenty of abuse so i do feel sorry for that and especially when you're just trying to honestly do your job and we all make mistakes. We all have often sat ringside and got the whole wrong end of a report and put something out. And I'm like, go back a few days later and you go, mm, probably got that fight wrong there. I mean, that probably happens for commentators as well, but it's, it's such an unforgiving landscape that everybody's just ready to jump on you straight away and, and get down your throat. And whether it's you, Andy, maybe doing a score and it, like some people say, oh, how did you give round six to X? And you're like, well, just watched it. And that was my opinion. Sorry. Yeah, I get plenty so of that. I get plenty of that. It, it's just part of the job, though, isn't it? It doesn't really, it, it doesn't, it genuinely doesn't bother me. I think I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of quite lucky in that just, just how I'm wired. Um, 
it just doesn't really it it doesn't bother me. I, I, either way, either way, I, I genuinely. I think it doesn't bother you because you know that you don't. You're not. You're not biased. You know. Yeah, that you know how you do it. it, and you know what you're looking at. You know, so you're not. You, you, you don't give a shit what fifty. No, no disrespect. Donuts on Twitter. Who probably their mate is boxing. Yet they think you're the one who's biased. Do you know? What I mean? Yeah, you can't win in that situation. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely um, impossible. Uh, just before we move on to to discuss um, to discuss uh, Eddie's announcement that he's taking the match stable over to DAZN, which which was you know kind of something we we knew and, and and most fans will will have known those who who follow boxing um, worst kept secret in boxing yeah worst kept <laughs> secret in boxing uh one thing that's come up quite a bit chris when we've when we've spoken to other people uh, and this chimes in with the with the difference between um the old days when you would save everything for the newspaper and the new days where you need to get something out because somebody else might and then 2 minutes later everybody everybody jumps on it there does seem to be this kind of um, ethos, if that's quite the right word now, where it's better to be first rather than to be correct. Yeah. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me at all, because if what you're writing is incorrect, you're not first, you're just talking shit. <laughs> but but there is a lot of that, isn't there? I mean, how, I mean, you must, you must look at it sometimes and just shake your head. It's, it's. Yeah, I do shake your head but you kind of understand it and I'm not saying I've, I've got things wrong in the past and I, I've never never intentionally put out something wrong um but sometimes you are fed a lie and you, and you take it in good faith and you put it out there and it's wrong but yeah it's it's the pressure of the online world now to, to, to get stuff out quickly to be that first because the way the kind of traffic drives it will always even if bigger sites kind of pick it up afterwards, if you're a smaller site, if you get it out first, you will get a fair chunk of that traffic and they're so hungry for clicks and that's what it's all generated on, how many numbers we get. And it's not, I kind of, I am from a, a very old, I keep saying old school and people are probably looking at me going and listen to always going, how can he talk about old school? He's 33 years of age. But I grew up on newspapers and I grew up, on that every day my dad bought a paper and every day you read the paper and that was the kind of thing and every Sunday there was three newspapers it was just a thing but now with the websites and you wanted a newspaper that you kind of trusted and you believed everything in it and every time you read it you knew what was in there so for the newspaper it was all about maintaining the audience so keeping your readership figures at a certain level whether that be 300,000 a day a million a day whatever it was and obviously newspapers are hardly blameless and I'm not going to sit here and say that they're all angels and there's some being some horrendous front pages and stuff like that which kind of damages the industry but we're online it is this chase to be first and get the traffic and if we're not first we're not going to get the traffic and that pressure puts comes from the top down on journalists and it's like you do have to kind of battle back in some days and go right this story's not ready if we put it out now i'm not 100 percent sure this this and this is right we need to be careful and you're getting kind of pressure to go just get it out there just get it up on the website and we'll worry about it later and that's just totally the wrong attitude and i think um 
a, a good journalist and a good journalist that I work with, um, certainly it, on Merseyside and in boxing, will always kind of stand back and go, no, hold on, let's get it right. But there are other people out there um, within, not even just in journalism, on social media, just putting stuff out that they hear as rumour and just like, just get it out there and, and hope that it's right. And then afterwards you find out it's wrong and and you're okay if it's only a rumour about a fight happening, but if it's a legal thing, you get yourself in bother. And um, like there's been incidents where, yeah, I've got a tip off on um, drug testing issues in, in the sport and you're going, right, this could be a big story. But if you don't have that right, if you go too early with that story, one, you're going to open yourself up to a hell of a lawsuit from the person that if you named them. But two, you just want everything right. You want it to be 100% because I'm not saying I'm a brilliant journalist. I'm not saying I've never got nothing wrong, but I just like to think that when I put something out there, I trust that it's right and I was doing it in good faith. And that kind of thing now online is so, so much harder to do because of that pressure. Get it out, get it out quickly. Um, and there are people who will just do it, get it out there and then worry about the consequences afterwards. But they won't, they won't kind of last long in the industry for various different reasons. Well, litigation aside, your credibility's on the line, yeah. isn't it? You know, and, you know, Donald Trump, his Twitter, fake news, fake news. He's <laughs> well, like the boy who cries wolf as well. Like, you know, if you, everyone's just putting stuff out there. Everyone's just throwing loads of shit and hoping some of it sticks. You know, and like, is it, is it, is it real? Where, who said that? How do you know that's true? Oh, such and such one said it. Well, where did he hear it from? Is it, is it just true because Joe Bluggs said it? Because Joe Bluggs has said a lot of things that have actually ended up being a load of BS. Yeah. So you know, you, and it's like, like who, who, who are we believing here? It gets to that point then, doesn't it? Look, it's hard now, I guess. With, have, you, have you just explained articulately well there about the pressure from above? And ultimately, the, the people from above are your bosses, aren't they? So you're thinking, well, they're, they're my bosses, but I'm also got to be true to myself. I still want to, you know maintain my credibility because I want to be in this game a long time, I want to be taken seriously, but also they're my bosses. And he's trying to strike that balance. But I think there's nowadays with social media, because there's everyone's just putting so much out there, rumours are just going. Like you say, there is a lot of fake news, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it's, look, everybody can get something wrong and we, we all can make mistakes and all that. But as you say, Matt, it's credibility. So it's having that reputation that, it, it's most likely right. Um, and there's certain journalists and, and that who have got amazing kind of, what would you say, a track record that there's, there's journalists in football and there's journalists in boxing that I know when they see them put something out that, look, I would still check it out myself. I would still make my own calls. But I know, look, if they've done it, that's right. They ain't going to do that. There are some that you look at and go, hmm, not sure about that. Ain't got the same track record. But um, I think... Most most proper good journalists will will do the due diligence, will put stuff out, and will only put it out when it is ready um, for various reasons, litigation. But as you say, Matt, correctly, credibility is a huge thing. And it's a huge thing, especially now in a social media kind of age, because maybe if 20, 30 years ago, the kind of comeback wasn't as much, so you could write a few more transfer flyers or... You could write a bit more and it don't go in a newspaper and by five o'clock it's fish and chip paper. Whereas now it's always on there. It will always come back to haunt you if you get one wrong. And it does sometimes you get a tweet going, 
when you were the guy who reported this, why didn't this happen? This football transfer, or why didn't this fight happen that you said was going to happen? And so it makes it a, a, a kind of the flip side of it is there's more pressure to come to get B first, but there's also more pressure knowing that there's more comeback now because it will forever remain online. It will forever remain out there and somebody will always find a link to something that you did that you got wrong or, or, or didn't get 100% right. In, in your opinion, Chris, are we, are we in dangerous territory whereby, you know, you still, as you said, look, being first is more important than being right. And then you've said, look, there is the comeback because it's online, etc. But, like, you'd like to believe or you'd like to think that the good, solid, proper journalist with integrity who gets it right and checks it, double checks it, triple checks it, makes sure he's, he sources everything, the story's right before he puts it out there. You'd like to think that eventually that will, the cream will rise to the top and the truth and the good journalist will, will stay the course and all these clickbait people who are jumping on things and pointing out there may initially get their nose in front and build up a bit of a following, but eventually the fact that they're putting out a lot of fake news or stories that weren't true, weren't reliable, that they'll end up, people will end up like thinking, nah, he was full of shit. But well, this guy, he's solid. We can believe him. You'd like to think that that will rise to the top. But, yeah. but, but, but will it? You know, but will it? Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, but I think as well, the way the kind of industry is changing, it's, it's like I know of good journalists who who can't get jobs in the industry, who are very good because various reasons that just luck hasn't kind of fallen their way and you kind of think they should be working in the industry, they should be reporting on boxing or football or whatever. And it, it kind of luck hasn't kind of fallen their way, even though they're grafted and they, they've got good contacts, they can do good interviews, they can write well or can broadcast well, whatever. But, yeah, you would like to think that that will happen. And I, th- I think it will win it. Because I think the media landscape is changing. Like, I think clickbait and stuff like that will eventually kind of, people are growing tired of it and it will kind of, people want um, quality journalism, quality articles. Um, The Athletic is a new thing. They've invested big money, especially into football in the UK and their reporting and they put out huge big articles. Some of them don't interest me. Some of them are fascinating. And it's trusted journalism, it's well-sourced journalism, and there's there's great newspaper journalists out there, and it's trusted, and they can write big, long articles, they can write sharp news stories. I think clickbait will eventually go, but it's just such a monster at the minute, and that's the only way to bring in traffic, is to, to have kind of headlines that grab attention. But the industry is kind of at a point now where... Even, even if it's a lie? Yeah, well, I would like to think that any good journalist would never put out a lie. Um, and I know there, there was stuff that's that's out there wrong. Transfer transfer rumours is a big thing in football. And I know this is a boxing podcast, so people get bored about me mentioning football, but transfer rumours is a big thing. I know that every good journalist who were right to transfer story at that time, that football club was interested in that player. doesn't mean because they never signed for that club that it was a lie initially. Obviously, there is stuff out there from agents that's pumped out and it's never right, but that's another debate. But I think the industry is at a kind of a kind of crossroads where it needs now to 
to remain credible, that people are, as you say, the fake news thing, that people are ready to jump on stuff. Um, trying to make the point I'm trying to make is that good quality journalism is needed, but the industry needs to be able to financially keep it going. And with the websites, unless you go behind a paywall, you're not bringing in huge sums of money, which the websites and the newspaper websites particularly are now trying to generate as much income from advertising revenue online. It is growing. It's growing considerably, but it's still not as much as what they can earn from the newspaper, the actual physical hard copy. So until we get that balance where we can afford to have keep journalists employed because it's cutbacks, 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 and they're having to bring in different people on, on less money all the time to kind of prop them up. But until we can kind of find that balance where websites pay, that's where clickbait is going to keep going. Um, but I think we will get, I think the, the, hopefully that journalism kind of reaches this crossroads where we can kind of get financially keep it going that we can pay journalists to stay in jobs and to keep reporting good journalists to keep reporting in good faith. Um, but clickbait is the monster at the minute. Um, but I think people, the audiences will turn off eventually and we'll, we'll have to go back to making sure that everything is stand-up, proper good journalism. Probably, oh, I agree with I've that. probably gone around in circles there. No, not, no, no, you, you, covered, you covered a lot of this interesting topics This is why I'm a newspaper there. man and not a broadcaster. No, but I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, I think we're coming out of that era. I think we're already beginning to come out of it now. I think people are getting tired of it because there's been so much... There've been so much, so many lies over the last few years, and things that have really mattered. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I think people are beginning to get sick of it. And, and with regards to the paywall, you're absolutely right. If you want, if people want quality writing and journalism uh, and properly researched articles, then you should be prepared to pay for it. Like you say, you pay for a newspaper, but one of the problems mainly, maybe, with the internet is that it is kind of looked upon as this place where everything is free. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that, that attitude needs to change slightly. You see that what? as well when, when, when Times, the Times is one paper behind a paywall, the Telegraph is another. And when journalists post great news stories or great interviews, a couple of the replies, or well, loads of the replies would be, oh, it's behind a paywall. Yeah. Well, I can't read that. And it's like, well... Well, what do yeah, you, want? you can. You want quality journalism that is correct and accurate and brilliant. Yeah. But you have to pay. We have, like, everybody's trying to make a living in the industry. Exactly. Exactly. So, People, you're not, you're not, you know, it's a job. It's, it's a, job. a job. Yeah, 100%. It's a product. 100%. And you have to pay for your, your Sky Sports subscription. You have to pay for your BT subscription. You have to pay for Netflix. But People don't want to pay for, for, for good quality journalism. And I think that's, that's a problem for the industry now at the minute. Um, is that people, we need to get people paying for it. And I think it needs the attitude of people need to change that. If you want brilliant journalism, you're going to have to pay for it because journalists need to be paid good money to stay in the industry. Otherwise, they're going to go off and do something else. Yeah, because there was something, I, I I read an article, it was it was one, I can't remember I can't remember who it was. It might have been The Guardian, but don't quote me on that. And at the bottom of the article, I was reading it online, it said basically... We want to stay completely neutral, but yeah. that's going to cost money to employ good journalists that have to pay them the money to get the stories, to research it, to investigate the things, to make sure it's truthful and honest and that it's, you know, legit. It costs money, you know, so if you can, you know, I don't know, sign up or contribute, whatever it was at the bottom, because 
as you, I'm just repeating basically what you both said, because, you know, in order for people to be full time, to take the time to investigate, to chase stories up, to check them out, double check them, and then properly write it and write it in a talented way, in articulate, you know, well written, that, that, that takes, that costs money. You know, but like you say, we are in an era where you can just go on Twitter, click on this, and everything's free. It's, it's, I don't know where that that it's, it's sort of it's pretty dangerous, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it is the fear that maybe the horse has bolted on it that they come mm-hmm. back in. I, I think a couple of newspapers tried it and went behind a paywall and then came out of it because they just weren't getting it. And the other problem is that if you have a good story behind a paywall particularly a news story on whether it be boxing, football, tennis, whatever. If somebody sees that, so who works for another website, and they're not talking just newspapers here, they can then lift that story, put it on their website for free. They can even credit it back and they can put a link in and that's great. And that's what everybody should do. But I've never read the story for free. So why would I click back and pay to read it? Like, so that's another problem for the industry and, I don't know how you kind of solve that. I don't know how you solve that. It's it's a it's a it's a real catch twenty two kind of thing. I mean, every now and again, you 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 do though get um, characters who are just completely altruistic uh, philanthropists, saint like kind of god like beings like me and Macklin who, who do a podcast <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. But we talked a little bit about about fake news there. One thing that definitely isn't fake news is the fact that Eddie Hearn is taking his matchroom stable over to DAZN. Uh, this had been in the wind for a while. It had been rumoured for a while. I think Mike Coppinger was was first uh, with it. Um, he would have got that from, we talked about contact earlier, he'll have got that from somebody he completely trusted. Uh, and since then, it's just been kind of, it's just, um, it's just, it's been like a big elephant in the room. Nobody's been in a position to really comment on it. I'd imagine you probably made calls to see if anybody was willing to talk, and and, and nobody, and nobody was. Uh, Matt, the longer it all went on, longer it took for the decision to be made. We both started to think that this, this was what was going to happen. And as far as the British boxing landscape goes, it's big news. It's big news. No, it's massive news and it, it's um, uncharted waters in, in, to some degree. I mean, some people might say, well, no, Box Nation went off and formed their own channel. I think things are different to back then. You're talking a lot more money. You're talking uh, something that's not just in the UK. You know, this is a, a global platform i guess um like i say a lot more money and, and times have moved on so much from when box nation launched I mean, you just look at eddie Hearn's social media following alone and then you've got matchroom as well like you, 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 i guess you're talking I, I, I don't know but i'm guessing eddie's got over a million followers on twitter instagram etc matchroom will have hundreds of thousands as well their fighters will have hundreds you know you're talking millions all around so they can I think the one of the, the big problems with Box Nation was that you almost had to have Box Nation to know the fight was happening on Box Nation. So how do you sell a show or promote a show with such a limited sort of reach? But with, you know, obviously Matchroom have had an exclusive deal with Sky and 
Sky Sports News is such a massive tool for promoting everything because any sports fan, every football fan in the UK is watching Sky Sports News for the for, you know for the on the hour up to date news. And if your boxing's being promoted and pushed on that, you know, there's great stories in boxing, there's great characters in boxing. You can really push it out there and sell the show and promote it. So that's a tool that Eddie will miss. But as I say, over the years that have been come on, he, his own following alone and Matchroom's following is substantial. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting. You know, Sky is now, you know, we don't, we haven't announced who that's going to, who's going to sort of step into his place. But it looks like they're up for a fight. <laughs> yeah, we can't say too much about that. Um, or we'll, we'll get in trouble. But um, with regard to the, the Matchroom situation, Chris, were you the same as us as it kind of took longer and longer and longer? Were you thinking, okay, well, he's he's going to move over to DAZN? Because the way I was looking at it really was just, the way I was thinking was, well, if he doesn't go and sign with DAZN, having made the move that he made in America, what was it all for? It just seemed kind of inevitable, really, that that, that was what was going to happen. Yeah, as soon as he signed the deal for the US, um, was that two or three years ago now, you kind of just felt, well, the zone, everything the zone we're talking about was going global. So it wasn't just going to be a US broadcast or a US streaming service. It was going to go internationally. And then they went into Italy and Spain and other markets. So you just felt it was kind of a matter of time, but it was probably for him, it was finding the kind of right time. Um, one of those reasons was he was tied into this. Uh, he was tied into the Sky contract until this summer, so he couldn't have moved until now. You're kind of thinking maybe will he give Sky another three, four years, and then kind of go to the zone, just let the kind of suppose the streaming world kind of develop a bit more. It's obviously a huge thing for Netflix and Amazon, but live sport on on streaming services is certainly still growing as kind of internet speeds get faster around the kind of globe. Um, So you thought maybe he'll give it another year or two at Sky just to let that kind of grow itself a bit more. But he decided now is to take the plunge and it's a a big move. It's it's a ballsy move. Um, He's leaving behind Sky and a partnership that has been great for both sides, um, delivered some huge fights, um, delivered pay-per-view which he's leaving behind for for certainly for his main stable Anthony Joshua is, is could still renew with Sky I think so he may still cross over to to go back to pay-per-view so the whole the zone thing about initially when they, they they came out in America it was pay-per-view was dead they had that Canelo advert where he was talking about how pay-per-view is finished but as we've seen, it's not, it still has a valuable place in the sport because it generates huge, huge numbers for the massive, massive fights. And if Fury Joshua does happen in December, I still believe that would be on pay-per-view in the UK rather than the zone. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting times. It's, it's, a, it's a ballsy move and it's one for, for Eddie that it could pay off hugely. Um, he's told us that he's got... We refused to speak about figures this time. They said it was a billion-dollar deal in America. This time he said they're not going to reveal the figures, but he said it's it's given him the firepower and artillery to to really take the sport to another level in the UK. And I suppose the kind of time will will decide whether that is a, a true prediction. But it's, a, it's exciting times for the sport. And if Sky stay in the sport, which it looks like they will, 
it's going to be uh, exciting and it's going to be good for fighters because there's going to be more options, more platforms and more more competition, which will which will push up their kind of purses as well. So there's going to be plenty of money out there for them. Yeah, I, I totally agree that the, the more competition, uh, the better it is. I've been freelancing my whole career. And so you, you, the more people there are out there covering the sport you want to cover, the better it is. You know, uh, as the saying goes, uh, a, riding t- a rising tide lifts all lifts all boats. I think he's probably right not to reveal figures. That might be a lesson he learned from the from the American launch when they did make a big song and dance about how much money they got. Um, and it's a difficult balance to strike between wanting to make a massive splash and impact and headlines, but then also kind of telling people your, your business. Um, just one thing from, you know, I'm, I can speak on behalf of Matt here as well, is that, you know, we get on great with everybody at Matt's room. Um, always did whilst, whilst we were working together. That's still the case now. Uh, you know, we wish them, we wish them well. They made their decision. It's business. You know, these things, these things happen. So there's no, there's no kind of, and within everybody in in in, in Sky too that, that that I've spoken to, there's no kind of resentment or anything or anything like that. You know, it was a business decision, and they and they made it. Um, Chris, what kind of problems do you think? What, what are the main problems with or challenges? Let, let's let's describe it as, as that rather than problems for Matrim going to the zone. I mean, it, for me, it, it's visibility, isn't it? It's visibility. Uh, and that you know that's a that is a big challenge. Yeah, it is that kind of thing of out of sight, out of kind of mind. Um, they're going to have to work very hard to to promote in in a different way because that Sky, as Matt mentioned, Sky Sports News is such a weapon because and it's why Sky Sports box office has always had bigger numbers than other pay per view channels in the UK because you say Joe Bloggs tunes in at four o'clock today to find out if uh, Man United are signing anybody or what's the latest uh, England news ahead of the Euros. And then for 10 minutes of that hour, the way he's just passively watching it, he's being fed that there's this huge fight on Saturday, whether it be a fight night card or whether you have to pay 20 quid for it. And to the casual kind of audience, and I, I do kind of hate using that word casual, I kind of call them general sports fans, that's just going kind to, of, all right, okay, this this seems interesting. Who's this character? I find this interesting about him. I, I might watch that on Saturday night. Oh, actually, good, good, sorry, a good recent example of that was I was watching the Champions League final and two or three times they pumped up Daniel Dubois against Bogdan Dino on BT Sport. Yeah, and so and people text me about that. So people who are watching the Champions League going, oh, Dubois back. Oh, do you think he's going to be world champion now after the Joyce fight? Like and it just generates that debate in people who are boxing nuts and the zone being away from that that's going to be a challenge. That Eddie and John Markowski have kind of said that they've got plans to do something like to cross over. They won't really reveal what. I imagine it'll be more similar to what they did before Canelo Saunders, which was they did a documentary on Canelo and gave it to the BBC. Um, and they put it out on BBC mm-hmm. one or two, but it was quite late at night. They'd probably want that a bit out a bit earlier to get a bit more. So they'll have to do more of that. And a big focus will be social with Eddie's numbers, with Matchroom's numbers, with the Zones own numbers. But I'm hoping that they might look a bit more old school as well, because getting out into the newspapers and onto radio and onto onto normal TV news channels, that's going to get you in in into people's homes, like. 
people buy a newspaper to read maybe the football news and if they flick through and see a big piece about um whoever who joshua buatsi when if he's fighting at fight camp and they go all right who is this kid oh, i remember him from the olympics i want to watch him now stuff like that so they're going to maybe i hope they, they'll look a bit at doing that as well because that's good for us if we get kind of more access and and, and people look at that because the newspapers are kind of a bit forgotten about by some people in the sport who think oh it's all about digital now but we still like sky sports news have a kind of a, a wider demographic um rather than just boxing fans and and if you're following eddie hearn on twitter most likely you're a big boxing fan because you know who he is but if you're buying the daily star the mail or whoever you might you're not buying that maybe for boxing you're buying that to read about all sports news and you can capture new kind of uh, audiences in, in in doing that. Yeah, I mean, you'd imagine with the money that we've heard they're giving, they're, 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 they're paying out, that, you, that a portion of that, you'd be wise to, to allocate a portion of that to, even if, if it's created in-house, where they, that they do these documentary type things and, and put that out then free, just give it away to your terrestrial TV channels or whatever, even even newspapers, radios, investing a bit, paying for advertisement, whatever. It, you, you you would imagine that they would will use a, a portion of that to to, to publicise things a lot more. Yeah, they 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 definitely need to, to to kind of make it a success and to get the subscribers in because the one ninety nine will I think is going to continue on for fight camp, um. But I imagine for, for towards the end of the year that they'll have to put the price up because it's not financially sustainable it's great for fans at the minute two quid and you're getting some really good boxing but it's not long term it's not financially sustainable so to then keep people in they're going to have to keep ramming it down people's throats to remind them that it's there and the thing as well they've got to educate people because another challenge i think is that although people of maybe even like all of our ages on here and but when you go older than that people in their 60s and stuff don't have smart TVs, don't have maybe even smartphones. They don't know how to cast from the phone onto the TV. They don't. So they're not going to find that. They, they just want to watch a fight. Like I already uh, just learned myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say, but, but it's like my, like my, my, my dad, who's 70, 73, uh, get that right, 74. Um, you, you, like, is he going to, He's not going to obviously be able to download an app. He doesn't have a smart TV. He doesn't have a smartphone. But if, if he has Sky Sports, he has so he can, and he has obviously the the, the normal channels. So he can watch football and boxing on there. But if you've got to go find an app, that for an older generation, that's going to be a lot. And I think a lot of Sky's big a big chunk of their audience is an older generation. It's not. 18 year olds or they're certainly the 18 and 19 year olds certainly aren't the ones paying the subscription put it that way but times do change and if you go back to when sky sports first came on the scene what the mentality and what everyone's thought process with regard to that was then you know and it took over didn't it you know he's streaming the way that inevitably it's going you look at netflix you look at amazon prime all these things bbc iplayer you know, is it just inevitable and they've just gone, you know, is it, or, and if it is inevitable, have Matchroom 
gone too soon or have they hit it right? It's, it, these are all ifs and buts and maybes. Oh, are. That's, that, that, that's the really, really interesting thing. Like like you say, change progress is, is absolutely inevitable. And you mentioned Sky there, and that is a good example in, in, in a couple of ways because when they started, I remember talking to Glenn on the podcast, Matt, and, and you know, Glenn took a role at Sky 1990, something like that, and people were saying, so you're going to work for Glenn? And he said, oh, I'm going to go and work for Sky. And I said, what, Sky? Who are they? And he said, oh, and explained. And they just said, what? You've got to attach a dish to your house. Fuck off, Glenn. Nobody's going <laughs> nobody's to do that. But they did do it. But they did do it. But on the flip side of that, people were saying when Sky gathered momentum, oh, terrestrial TV's dead. Terrestrial TV's not dead. Terrestrial TV's still here. You know, people's habits change quite slowly and things can coexist alongside yeah. each other. It is absolutely fascinating. Personally, I think the... It's about the package, isn't it? I, I, whatever platform it's going to be on, the package is really, really important. And that's why for DAZN to succeed, they're going to have to get Premier League football or the NFL or the NBA or, or whatever it is, because we love boxing and there is an audience for boxing. Growing that audience on a week-by-week basis is really hard. You know, well, it, it, it brings in a massive floating audience for big fights, but it's niche boxing. Let, let, let's be honest. It's niche. If you're, you need, you need that massive floating audience that comes with, with a, with a huge sport. I mean, you just well, do, don't you? Oh, I mean, it's interesting. We've spoke about this, uh, you know, me and you, Andy have spoken about this, how, look, I think in Japan, they've got a really good, I've heard they've got a really good model there. They've got a good presence there, the zone. Uh, it was interesting. They got the Serie A right in Italy. Uh, Matrim are in Italy with the boxing. That's obviously a coup. Now, I've heard from good sources that the American venture hasn't really worked for them. That, you know, they haven't been able to get, they won't be able to get the rights for the NFL, NBA, NHL, all the, all the things that they need would need for certainly X amount of years. And I was like, well, why are they still continuing? He said, because they've got contracts. That's why they gave, you know, if you think, if you were really, if they thought it was going to work, you wouldn't have let go of Canelo, even though his last two fights have been on there, you know, you'd have, you'd have tried to keep him contracted. But, I mean, that's what I've heard. I've heard that the, the American venture with, with the zone hasn't really worked. And once they've got their contracts fulfilled and obligations, you know, done, they're out of it. How true that is, we'll see. But it, it is interesting. You know, like I say, Germany, I think they've got a good, Presence, Italy, Japan, will the UK work? I think it works if they get Premier League. If they don't get some Premier League, then it's difficult to see how successful it will be. I think the, the global aspect of it, I do find really, really interesting. So many possibilities for that because they did a card from Tashkent in Uzbekistan not that long ago. And, and, uh, and, and it was, yeah, I think it got a lot of, got a lot of eyeballs on it because there are countries where boxing is massive. And, and if you've got the money to be able to put fighters on there who are from there, you could have amazing nights. You know, imagine Lomachenko and Usyk. I know they're not matching fighters, but imagine them in Ukraine. The, re- the reason they can't box in Ukraine is because all the money's in America. You know, if, that, if they could kind of change that and take these huge stars from like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, other places too, and get them boxing in front of their own fans, imagine the kind of nights you could have. I find that, I find that side of it. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. Well, those Uzbeks that you mentioned there, and they're like guys, some people like these, you know, they're massive stars in Uzbekistan. That's it. That's it, exactly. Exactly. It's, do you, 
you spoke to him uh, yesterday, I think it was, Chris, or, or, or recently anyway, for this announcement that's coming now in about 45 minutes. Um, really fucking hope it does come, or we'll have to cut all of this out. <laughs> we'll have to cover all this out. I told you that. I probably have about four missed calls on my phone. So don't put that out. It's not on yet. Not well, on. well, don't worry about this because this doesn't go out till uh, Tuesday the eighth. Tuesday the eighth. Um, do do you think in in terms of the way that Eddie kind of I'm just kind of interested to wait and see how how Eddie is with it how gung-ho he's going to be because America was quite gung-ho the launch in America was quite gung-ho and you've already mentioned that he doesn't really want to talk figures for this but he's got he's gonna he's got to really He's got to give this to full Eddie Hearn, hasn't he? He's got he's got no he's got yeah. no choice. It can't be a slow build. They've got to this has got to be you know massive. Yeah, well, one one of the quotes he gave to us is that they've now got is the artillery to basically change the face of the sport in the UK. Now, when you step back from that, how do you do that? Is that just by paying more money? We've already had big stadium fights. We've had big big money fights. We've purses have gone through the roof already. Um, in the UK, so I don't know how he's going to change the face of the box of boxing. He will go big. He will. He's promising that the the commentary and the punditry teams will be blow you away. I've no idea on who that's going to be. There's been no kind of hints on that yet. Um, he, I think he will. He, he, he's like he can say a lot of things, but he, but he can't knock his salesmanship, and he will have people believing that the zone in the UK is going to be without doubt a success, a huge hit. Um, and he will come, come out firing and fight camps an interesting one to start with. Um, it's obviously, it will be a kind of a spectacular show and it'll be good for global audiences. It's kind of a novelty still, isn't it? To go back there. Um, but yeah, it, but the proof will be kind of in the pudding and in, in down in a year or two's time to see what fights they've managed to put on who they've also managed to attract in because you're going to have fighters who are going to think as well going outside out of mine the zone okay x amount of money but would i be better off being stats star sky's big flagship fighter would i be better off staying with bt and being their big flagship fighter so that's where the challenge would be but yeah eddie's going to give it the big one come on we all know that I wonder, is his sort of change in the landscape going to be, you know, it's, it's no massive secret that he's got on well with Dana White. Uh, Dana White brings the UFC to different countries and it's the UFC 256. That's the, it's the event. That's the star of the show as opposed to the individual fighter. I wonder, is he going to go down that model and also get rid of the belts and sanctioning bodies and the fees and try and, you know, create their own brand of, of a title? Possibly, yeah. I'm not sure on the bells, but he's definitely going to create a more UFC feel. He wants to control the whole narrative, so it's going to be the production is going to be done by Matchroom. There's going to the zone are not going to be in control of the events. It's certainly in the UK. So production, the arena, the setup, the TV will all be done by Matchroom. So him will have full control over kind of the story that's being told around the certain fights and that is one of the major reasons why I think he has gone now to 
and left Sky now is because I think Sky and other broadcasters were a bit like, well, no, we have our own production teams. We do our things our way. And you bring the fights to us. You bring the big the big events and we, we'll put on the TV production and we'll do everything. But I think he wants control of that now, which is, as you say, Matt, it's a, it's a very UFC kind of thing. And I think it'll be very in-house. I suppose the flip side of that is, though, the worry is that as greater it is to have more competition, the more networks there is, there's less crossover and less fighters fighting the best fighters because they're stuck with another channel. And this guy don't want this fighter going on the zone or the zone won't, don't want this fighter going on BT and all of that stuff just adds in into more into the merry mix of this strange, strange sport that we all love. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a massive undertaking um, doing the, basically doing everything, doing everything themselves. It, it's huge. It's absolutely, it's absolutely huge. Um, Matt, just to, just before we let Chris go, he was talking there about the, the kind of fine edge there is between visibility and and purse size. If you're a if you're a, a fighter, if you're a matchroom fighter now, if we kind of like take you back to when you were an active boxer, how difficult a decision do you think that that could be? at some point, maybe sort of down the line a little bit for for a fighter to think, okay, I'm getting well paid here, but more people used to watch me. I don't think it, it ultimately comes down. The two aren't necessarily totally exclusive because gen, generally speaking in the in back a few years was, you know, the more people that know who you are, means more likely you're going to have bigger viewing figures for the fight. More people are going to buy a ticket to watch a fight. So there's going to be more money in the pot. So therefore you're going to earn more money. So the two kind of did go hand in hand a little bit, particularly even more so with the pay-per-view model. Or if you were being built towards hopefully being a pay-per-view model, then you need people to know who you are. You want to be on Sky Sports News. You want big viewing figures. And eventually you build yourself up there where your profile's so big and the fight, the opponent you're boxing, the fight is so big that you may be, headlining a pay-per-view event, by which case you'll be earning a lot of money. Now, the zone is in a pay-per-view model. It's a subscription model, and Eddie can guarantee X amount for the purse, big purses, because he's getting a big budget from them. So actually, if I'm a fighter and Eddie's guaranteed me three times what I was getting and I'm on the zone but no one's seen it, what do I care? That, that, that was that's my point though it, do you not or is there, is there a point at which you do does it depend what kind of level you're at well also when i say who sees me i mean you know the social media is such a big thing now is it there's not very many people who aren't on twitter or on instagram you know facebook as well so it's like I think it's very different to how it was 10 years ago when, when they did make the move with the box nation or, you know, 10, 11 years, whenever it was, um, you know, and also the purses, you know, if they're a little bit bigger and no one's seeing me, maybe I'll take a little bit less and, you know, people see me and, and then at least I can see where it's going and the bigger picture is, okay, I'm getting a little bit less now, but because everyone's seeing who I am and I'm becoming a star, once I become champion, you know, I'm going to be on pay-per-view. I'm going to earn a lot of money. But 
I don't know if that's necessarily the case now because social media is such a big tool and Eddie's got such a big following and match room and they're really on it and all the fighters are on it, pushing it. I don't know if it's as big a deal now that you might be on a, um, a more niche network or channel where you're not getting as many eyes on you. I don't know. The, the, the answer is I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is really interesting. I like so many things about this. M- money talks loudest in in pretty much any room, and that's that's generally always been the case. And and you can't see that that changing anytime soon. I just find the whole thing just absolutely fascinating. We talked about it a lot over the last over the last um, few months. And and uh, as I said before, genuinely, um, best of luck, best of luck, Matt Dream Design with with that whole venture because. It is really exciting. It is really interesting for the whole for the whole industry, and there will be more. There will be more to say about this whole kind of axis um, in in due course. Um, just not right now. <laughs> so, uh, just one last thing before we before we go, Chris. How the Daily Star seems to be as invested in boxing, probably more invested in boxing in terms of the amount of column inches. It gets that there may be any other national newspaper. Is it is it still a battle to get boxing in the paper, or, or do you do you have it? Do you reckon you've got it better um, where you work than than colleagues at, at other publications? Yeah, I, th- I think I am fortunate in that the Star has, has always kind of valued the sport as. Um, my, the, my old sports editor, Howard Wheatcroft, who, who employed me uh, back in 2014 to, to the paper, um, he's he seen it as basically football is obviously the major one, but for a red top, the next kind of sport should be boxing. Boxing, rugby league, and then you go into your crickets and your other sports and, and stuff like that. But boxing and rugby league are kind of two working class sports, white white van man kind of sports. And we've always tried to do as much as possible. Um, the challenge over the last few years has been that page numbers have been cut um, and we were kind of, we were taken over. So it's, it's kind of a different, different kind of way we operate now, but we're still, I think one of the best for boxing. Um, and that's not just down to me, that's down to predecessors, Kevin Francis, who was, uh, I'm sure Matt remembers, he would have covered a lot of his career. He was, big character in the game and, and, a, and a very, very good boxing journalist. So people like that who, who've really helped the paper have a great reputation in the sport. And I suppose the paper has a, people often see it as, as a bit trashy because the front of the book is a lot of gossip and stuff like that. But the sports coverage I'm, I've always been proud of. It's a small team we've got and we've always kind of battled with, with the big boys and, and tried to do our best and, but yeah, boxing. I, I do get lucky of that we we do give it more space, and I, I'm I've got a weekly column, um, which is I've got a kind of a free roam on what I can do on that. So some weeks I'll do a, an opinion piece, and if there's a news story around or an issue, give my opinion for what it's worth. Some weeks I'll do an interview with an up and coming boxer who's got a bit of different story that generally you wouldn't get into a national paper, and I'm lucky to have that because that gives me and in with a young fighter on the way up that they kind of go, all right, this guy showed a bit of interest in me when I was nobody, when I was four or five and oh, and I was fighting on small hall shows or on, on undercards at five o'clock that you hope that when they become big, that they remember and go, all right, okay, 
I'll give you that exclusive interview because I remember a few years ago you did me did me a favour by getting my name out there. So that column is good and it shows that we've got a real interest in in the sport and for big fights we can go big and we, we can give plenty of coverage and we try and get it on the back page as much as possible too. So I am quite lucky to work for a newspaper that that has a real passion for for the sport. Um, but it, it's always been it's always been a, a big thing for me to work for a newspaper and I just hope that the industry kind of kind of kind of survives and and keeps goes back to thriving that I can keep doing it because you always wonder with cutbacks and that if you'll uh, if it'll keep going but I've had some great times doing it covered some huge mega fights some great trips abroad and stuff like that stuff that as a kid I, I would have dreamed of doing as a big boxing fan I box myself and I always wanted to be involved in the sport wasn't good enough to be a boxer far far from it but to be able to sit there and write and critique about it is 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 next kind of best thing and one of my early days on work experience in 2008 was with the uh, the Irish version of the star and uh, the first boxing I did for them on work experience was uh, the National Stadium Dublin and a fella called Matthew Macklin for uh, Uri Boy Campus um, I think it was around March time in 2008 was it? March uh, 22nd Yeah, Jerry Callan um, I was there on football mainly but Jerry Callan kind of helped me out and uh, brought me along which was good but Jerry was definitely old school anyway. Yeah, Jerry is, <laughs> Jerry's a legend, a legend of the boxing world. But uh, now it, it's great to work for the star and it's great that they, they, they do care about the sport because it helps me then when I go and interview people that we actually produce it somewhere and people, I like to think that boxers and trainers and that still like to see their name in print as much as it is great to be on websites that they still get to see it the kind of name up there when they open a paper it's always a buzz somebody like josh warrington always goes out and buys the newspaper when he knows he's in it and it's great when you see that when a fighter take is happy with it sometimes they're not happy with it certainly not the headlines and sometimes they're not happy when you what you write about them and when it's a fight report and they haven't delivered but that's another challenge of the game kind of managing that kind of relationship but to be writing about boxing and come traveling the world for it is just unbelievable from from kind of the family I came from, a boxing family, to be to be doing it, it's it's, it's brilliant. So so just quickly, um, I got a message on Twitter the other day, Matt, and if I don't do this now, I'll forget to do it. So this is from James Hart. He was flicking through some old copies of Boxing News, and he came across this. So there's a little bit in this kind of like left hand sidebar about you, and then it says injuries have held him back. The latest to damage right hand, but now he makes his move on the Ricky Hatton Costas U bill in June. He's set to face Michael Jones for the British light middleweight title. And then there's a little bit of a, a quote from you asking, you know, how will Jones be after Jamie Moore and this kind of thing. So what James wanted to know is why did that not happen? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I think I think what happened was I didn't sign, I didn't re-sign with Frank Warren. Instead, I took a one-off basis fight on with Brian on a Brian Peters show. It was his second show in Ireland with Bernard Don after coming back from America. I fought Michael Monaghan for the Irish middleweight title instead. It actually, it was May 14th. It was my 23rd birthday on the day. Um, and then I went and did a couple of fights in America, came back and fought on the Hatton Mauser card at the end of the year and, um, and, and actually ended up fighting Jamie Moore for the British title instead. So, you know, they I think they did... I think that, that got mandated. Maybe that got mandated. Maybe that's why I didn't do it. Yeah, I think it did. That's, it did. That's my, yeah, I think Jamie Moore and 
Michael Jones got mandated and uh yeah and then I didn't I didn't really see the path with Frank or where to go and I just thought I'd fought in nearly a year so I fought for the Irish middleweight title and um you, you, you remember that, Chris? It was Bernard Dunn's second fight at the stadium. He boxed, I think, a Ukrainian kid, a Southpaw, and I fought Michael Monaghan. Yeah, I vaguely remember it. I wasn't at that one, but yeah. It was, uh... OK, well, well, James just sent that in, and I thought it was interesting. So uh, I just thought if I'd, I'd, I'd see if you remembered. Mac- Macklin's memory regarding his career is was pretty impressive, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, when you threw that fight out there, he immediately said, "Oh yeah, March the twenty second. You know, some it's, it's interesting with athletes. Some some of them remember everything, and some of them remember almost nothing. Um, and you never really know what you're gonna you know, what you're gonna get. Uh, luckily, you remember plenty, Chris, as well, which um, which is always good for this podcast. Uh, and thanks for coming on. This has been really really interesting. Uh, like I said, we've we've done a few where we've we've spoken about the journalistic game, but. Um, it's different. There are different parts of it, weeklies, monthlies, um, video, audio, radio, TV. Uh, but the beat of the day in, day out newspaper and now also internet journalist is it's kind of the oldest version of the profession. Uh, and it's just good to hear that certain certain tenets of it will will never change so long as yourself and others like you keep fighting the good fight. So thanks for, thanks for doing this. Like I said, it's been great fun. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we will be back next week as usual. If, if you could um, get onto iTunes and give us a rate, a rate, give us a review that always helps uh, and pile over to YouTube as well. Um, if you've, if you've got the time, okay, we'll catch you again soon. On the right, babe. Not that Maggie back in town. I said, Jenny Diver, whoa, Suki Tawdry, look out to Miss Lottie Linda and old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right, babe. Not that Maggie. Back in Podcast Network.